welcome to this Expert Insights audio CD. I'm Donna Hansen from Prime Solutions Training and Consulting. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give human resources and learning and development professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on how organisations manage, retain, engage and recruit staff. We know that HR and L&D roles are all-encompassing and that it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Prime's Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends in the industry. In this Expert Insights CD, we speak with Michael Lysenblatt. Michael is a resilience expert who helps organisations keep great people by teaching them how to stay productive under pressure without burning themselves out. Michael believes that achieving results in business is more about becoming resilient to pressure and bouncing back from setbacks than any other factor. Michael's helped hundreds of companies such as Colesmeyer, Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Toyota, St George and MLC learn how to stay dollar productive when the pressure is on so they can out-achieve their competition. Today, Michael will talk about how to accelerate your productivity personally by drawing on his unique blended background in psychology, shiatsu, and over 25 years of martial arts experience. So let's not upset him. So welcome, Michael. Uh, Lovely to have you on the call today. Great to be here, Donna. Thanks for inviting me. Why don't you start by telling us how you came to be a specialist in resilience and personal productivity? Sure. Look, I've always believed that people can actually get better under pressure. They can do more under pressure. They can achieve more under pressure. If I go back, you know, I I came from a very entrepreneurial family. My mother was in the supermarket business and my father was in ladies' clothing. I mean, not not literally, (laughs) but but dad manufactured. And as kids, you know, our parents worked pretty hard. So to spend time with them, we would go to business with them. So on the Saturday, we'd go with mum to the supermarket and we'd stack trolleys and we'd pack shelves. And on the Sunday, we'd go with dad in the truck and early in the morning at 6am, we'd go to the Queen Victoria market and we'd unpack the truck. We would put the stock away on the racking, we'd serve customers. When I was 11, my sister was eight. So we kind of grew up in business. It's interesting that we started to see things um, in our parents that most kids didn't see. We got to enjoy sort of mum and dad as real people. You know, got to see who they really were outside of them just being sort of mum and dad. That was great. And we got to see a whole lot of life that we didn't usually, the other, you know, our buddies and our friends wouldn't ordinarily see. However, it was probably when they went through their divorce that we got to see a whole different side to mum and dad. You know, we got to see their times of depression, their times of isolation, and their times of sadness, and, and, and just when they're really down and out. And, and the interesting thing is, is that no matter how tough it got for them, no matter how many setbacks they dealt with, they always managed to bring home some love and a smile to my sister and myself. And it really showed us you know, an important part of life. We grew up seeing this, and I think this is, it, it anchored this one idea that we tend to learn more from what we see people do rather than from what they, we hear them say. Because it reaffirmed this one principle that in, in life, things like pain and suffering are probably inevitable, but misery is an option. Mm. And, and my sister and I, we saw that, and um, 
we wanted to understand how to do more about that, and it really sort of inspired our lives. So for me, after finishing my, uh, my psychology training, I became a uh, practitioner in shiatsu, which is not a dog, but uh, shiatsu, <laughs> it's kind of like acupuncture, but without needles. And for about seven years, I had my own practice as a full-time practice, worked with about 4,000 people over that time. And the interesting thing was, is that during that time, 70% of the ailments that I treated, things like headaches, tight neck and shoulders, problems with sleep, stomach aches, all those sort of things, had no physiological basis whatsoever. In other words, they weren't caused by bugs, viruses and pathology. They were caused simply by a build-up of tension or incorrect management of tension. And when people learn how to manage pressure more effectively, they could achieve a lot more in their world. And I'm not just talking about their health and well-being. It's also to do with their communication, their time management, their general enjoyment of life, I believe, is all tied into their pressure management and their abilities to bounce back when they're under pressure. Mm, that's a very interesting story, Michael. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, how you, you help organisations and, and staff manage their, their personal productivity. So um, I know today we're talking about five ways HR professionals can help staff accelerate their personal productivity. So what are the five ways, first of all? Well, I'd say the first one is they've got to identify their pressure triggers. They need to, number two, need to be able to adjust their instinctive reactions, the way that they naturally want to respond and be able to adjust it so they're more effective. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, they've got to be able to ascertain their own level of productivity. So I reckon that productivity actually comes in layers. Fourthly, they've got to take ownership of where they are and how to operate under pressure and take the responsibility to make a choice to do something about it because the choice to do nothing is still a choice. And fifthly, they need to be able to move with pressure, to accept that things won't and very, very rarely do go according to plan and you've got to be able to move with pressure and be able to be adaptable. That's great. So let's explore the first one, which was identify pressure triggers. So first of all, what do you mean by pressure triggers? Well, look, the nature of pressure today is changing to what it was 10, 20 years ago. We are now under more pressure to get more done in a shorter period of time, which means we're under greater demand. And that then pauses or puts the question on us is how do we increase our capacity to get more done? which then poses a, a pressure on our sustainability as to how are we going to sustain this pressure or this pattern of working so that we can get everything done in the time frame. And we can go through this cycle of actually trying to stretch our ability and to keep going as harder and faster as we can to get all the work done. The challenge is that that is the nature of life. That is the nature of industry, that things are going to move hard and faster, and, and that's just how things work. So we can't actually stop that. But we need to understand that... Pressure is driven by external factors. One of them is your accessibility. That is, you are now more accessible than you ever were before in the past. I mean, now, if, if you go back, say, 40 years, and 40 years ago, if you were in a meeting, you know, you are in a meeting. If you're away with your family, you're away with your family. But now, because we've got mobiles, Blackberries, iPhones, mate, we can find you anywhere, anyhow. We can interrupt what you're doing, grab your attention, and put it on my issue. 
So now you are more accessible to me and your clients, your colleagues, your managers know it and therefore we are sometimes get in the trap of always being on, allowing technology to drive us rather than us learning how to drive technology. So that raises an interesting point uh, there that I, I just wanted to explore. So accessibility, and you're quite correct, you know, the technology changing, etc. Do you think that, um, you know, the other pr- pressures are also around accountability? Because I know that, you know, we've got a number of clients that have got uh, instant messaging type systems in their businesses and, and even those sort of things. Not only is there accessibility, there's almost accountability and I think that's one of the challenges that we tend to think just because you can reach me and you can ask me these things doesn't mean that I have to respond in the time frame that you expect me to. And, and just because they can interrupt you doesn't mean that they dictate your time frame because technology is a wonderful thing. It means you've got flexibility, you've got choice, you've got access to information and people that ordinarily, ordinarily or, you know, 10 years ago you may not have had. But with you know, with that comes a responsibility to manage your time and to manage your your energy as well, which which is why you also now have another key driver here is that you have an increased expected output. Yeah. Is that anyone can reach you now and in an email give you half a dozen different requests in a short time frame and keep bugging you every hour on the hour until they get it until you get it done. It doesn't mean that you need to do it by that time frame just because they're placing the expectation on that. We need to understand that we can't be everything to everyone. And this is one of the changes now in pressure is that there's a lot more expectations, more than you can ever fulfill in your day. So is there a a physical process that people should go through to say, well, what are the things that that, um, are my pressure triggers? Uh, well, they need to understand what I would say is your external triggers first because there's going to be external triggers and internal triggers. Uh, the external ones, you need to understand that your accessibility is going to make you um, work faster under pressure and it's going to change how you think. Um, also, because you have an increased expected outcome that people can put multiple demands on you, are going to change that as well. And, and you also need to understand you've got a change in lifestyle now. Is that you know, Now you can go home and you may have, be having dinner with friends and family, but in the back of your mind, you might be thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind just getting to that call or that email, that report. Because we have the luxury of taking work home, and I say it's a luxury, we have the ability because it gives us flexibility. We have the ability to take work home. It means that we're never quite off. We're always sort of in that on mode. Mm. So one of the key things with understanding your pressure triggers before you start trying to help people become more productive under pressure, we've got to understand what spikes it in the first place. And there are these external factors we've got to be aware of which impact, as you mentioned before, your response accountability. It impacts the speed and, and your own responsibility to yourself. So are there anything that any strategies or ideas that you have that could uh, help our listeners potentially uh, identify those pressure triggers or is it just a matter of sort of you know creating a little getting a sheet of paper and drawing columns and saying you know what are my external versus internal triggers uh, you know when you're under stress well, I think strategy-wise, you need to be aware of them. It's not so much saying if I do a particular technique, it's going to change. What you can see, you can change. If you're aware of something, you can create a change. So the first thing is notice 
how you are allowing technology to make you more accessible. So if someone needs you, uh, do you have an open door policy? And I know this is a very popular thing. Um, I don't like it. I actually don't think you should be available to everyone at all times simply because that's the standard or the expectation people will have on you that you are on tap. And I think you need to have times where you are available and times where you're simply not. And that's one of the most important aspects around understanding these triggers is how are you reacting? Are you allowing your accessibility to drive the way you work? Are you allowing the increased expectation of outcome to determine what you prioritize first, second, and third? Or do you prioritize your work and your workload according to your needs as opposed to the staff or, or otherwise. So you start thinking in terms of your availability and how you're structuring yourself. Great advice, Michael. So that brings us on to number two, which was adjust your instinctive reaction. So I think this follows on well from the pressure triggers. Can you elaborate a little more? Look, the traditional ways of how people handle pressure is sort of head down and, and tail up and get things done. Unfortunately now, because we have more to do than we have time available, this leads to people getting stressed out, overworked and run down. And there's typically two solid viewpoints that people have around how do you manage pressure and one of them have the old school approach of just sort of toughen up and get over it you know you don't complain so much just get on with the work and let's not talk about this whole stress thing let's just get out there and do the work and I think there's great validity to that we're losing a bit of the toughness edge now because we've been made so much more aware of stress and pressure it's in the media it's in your documentation in the wording in your documentation now and now we have to measure it and there's stress leave. And because we can say it and we can measure it, stress leave jumps up with it because it becomes part of our dialogue. So there's an element of needing to toughen up and get over it. But the other viewpoint is really you, you need to be able to let go. You need to know how to relax and how to unwind, how to talk and express yourself when you're dealing with pressure. And this has some great validity of those who really relate to the idea of, of um, taking three deep breaths or just having some time out for yourself or just going for a walk where you, like a pressure cooker, need to let steam out. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that if you have an instinctive reaction to just toughen up, get on with it. Understand that the people that you're working with may not be wired the same way as you. And some of them need to actually let go for them to come back and get focused on what they're doing. And similarly, if, if you have just one way of doing things, and I think this was um, highlighted by a psychologist, Abraham Maslow, said if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to see the world in terms of nails. Mm. In, in the same respect, if your only tool is just toughen up and get over it, uh, when the pressure mounts, you're at a greater risk of burning yourself out. And if we are trying to motivate a team by, come on, let's go and let's do it, there will be some people that just won't gravitate to it that way. I think, too, that raises a really interesting point, and, and certainly for a lot of our listeners who are in that HR and L&D role, that, that's a really important point, that not everybody's wired the same way. And I, I know for, for me, um, when I get stressed, I, um, uh, I get all sorts of reactions. So it might be, particularly in the winter months, it might be that you come down with a bit of a sniffle or a runny nose or whatever, or you have this urge to eat chocolate or junk food. And, and I think, like, for me, 
I've recognised those things and I know, you know, what are my stress releases and I, I know that going for a walk in the fresh air is really good and, and I know that at times where I'm really stressed, I know that it's really important that perhaps I, I take a multivitamin or that I'm really, really more just that little bit more conscious of the fuel that I'm putting in my body and making sure it's not processed and all of those sorts of things to to help my body manage the stress that you know I may or may not be able to control but if I can't control it then I just need to work through it because I know that it's got a, a finite it's for a finite period of time Yes, and I think what you've mentioned there is a great example of the letting go component of recognizing when you're feeling an overload of pressure that your body needs to let some tension out somewhere. Whereas going for a walk, it's doing something that allows your body to feel a sense of being centered again. Because people do work better under pressure if they can manage their pressure outlets as they come through. And what's interesting to note is that when we start thinking of it as, I've got to let the stress out, we're sometimes missing the point. See, I reckon that stress is more of a byproduct when we're not resilient in our approach. It's sort of like blood is a byproduct when we cut ourselves. It doesn't mean that blood is, we need to manage the blood. We need to stop the blood, but we need to sort of manage where the cut has come from. In the same way that when you manage resilience in a person, when you manage resilience in yourself, you're not trying to cope with stress anymore, but rather you're balancing your resilience approach to life. And this is a very important mindset shift because we need to get people out of thinking about coping with stress and and building up their resilience instead. Okay, so what's the difference between the two? Well, resilience is where you have the ability to to respond or to bounce back. You can be, if you are put under pressure, you may falter, you may break or crack. And when I say break or crack, you know, as you said before, you might feel a bit unwell or you might feel exhausted or emotional, but you have an understanding that it's not about just trying to cope and get through, but you have an ability to come back to center. It's really all about how do you maintain your centeredness? Kind of like for those of you who play squash, the ideal place in a squash court is to be right in the center so that you can come back to that set point every time. But you've got to rush for the ball and get back so that you can regain that. But to get certain shots, you've got to go away from center. But you need to come back there so you have the best position on the court. In the same respect, this is about your center point. Knowing that you've got a center point, certain pressures will put you off. But understanding that resilience is you putting energy and time into systems, structures, ways of thinking that brings you back in. So you're not spending time thinking about how do I cope with this. But rather you're thinking about, um, you know, I've, I've gone off centre, recognising that and, uh, you know, what are the mechanisms that are going to help move my, my body and my mind and my spirit back to that place where I can cope with whatever needs to come up. Very much so, and you can't do that without awareness, particularly if you have only one way of doing things. You know, if it's just, if I only have letting go as my tool, then I'm restricted to, to those particular outlets. And I reckon that resilience is so much more than just letting go. It's a combination of being able to toughen up and being able to let go, but at different times and in different ways. Sometimes you just got to, you know, head down, tail up, and just get on with it and stop allowing your negative thinking or your self, um, uh, self-pitting thinking to, to, to slow you down. But sometimes you need to actually stop and go, you know, I've achieved a lot and I'm actually feeling the strain on my shoulders. I've got to take five for myself. 
so it's about um, uh, recognising the triggers, first of all, and then the reactions that you just go into autopilot to do and then setting up some strategies that then enable you to go, well, not necessarily release, but mechanisms that help make you feel like you're bouncing back and you're coming back to that centred point. Correct. And this is why I, um, I always resist being prescriptive to say, mm. well, if you do A, B and say, if you, if you take three deep breaths and take yourself to a happy place in your mind, everything will be fine. Well, well, no. Sometimes you need to not. You need to actually get into it and confront something head on. Yep. You need to have a sense of ambition and go after something to be able to bounce back faster. Other times you do need to learn how to detach yeah. and, and take it away. Yeah. And it might be, you know, what works for me, going for a walk in the sunshine, you know, doesn't work for you or it might be that someone else needs to go and do a boxing class you know to to get that frustration and aggression out and that helps them bring themselves back to center so about finding your own mechanism to bring yourself back to center uh, yeah and, and um <laughs> As HR managers, as L&D professionals, you need to understand that people are wired differently and you will, be, you will want to manage people according to your own style. That's just natural. That's just default. I know when I speak and train, I do so in my own style and I've got to try and get out of my own style of, of understanding that people learn in different ways. So one of the most important things is helping people to understand what their pressure triggers are and what are their instinctive reactions and how to be able to try something a bit different and when you manage them to get past your initial instinctive reactions on how you would like them to be so michael that's that's great so far we've, we've created an awareness about the pressure triggers and our instinctive reactions and how you know it's not a one-size-fits-all approach so let's move on to number three which was to ascertain your productivity level what exactly does that mean? Okay, I, as I said before, I reckon people work better under pressure when they build their resilience. When people are not particularly resilient, their productivity um, drops down. And I reckon that there are five different levels of productivity a person can find themselves in. Now, this doesn't mean this level defines them. By no means. It's sometimes a starting point. It's sometimes a place they find themselves in because of something that's happened in the day. It may have been a change. It may have been a, an increase in workflow. It may have been a client demand. And they found themselves at a particular level. But they have the ability to move between them. And I define at, at the bottom level of productivity, you're at a stage where you are disengaged. Now, you know the staff when in that disengaged stage where they just feel, oh, what's the point? They turn up, but the lights aren't on, if you like. They, they're going through the motions. They'd rather be somewhere else, and they just sort of go through the process. They're, they're doing the job, but morale-wise, is they're, they're not committed to getting the outcome. And I reckon someone had to disengage at best is probably about 50% productive. The next level above that is when someone goes into a stage of being capable. And capable is where you do sufficient, uh, the amount of work, you're doing everything that you need to do, you tick the boxes, you can't be faulted on not doing the work right. Uh, but you can be a bit complacent, you know, if, if it's, you don't go over and above, you just do what you need to do, if it's not your job, you don't do it. But that's fine, but it just means you just don't get beyond that level of um, being just capable. You, uh, you, you kind of fill the role description and that's it. And you're probably at about you know, 60% productive at that level. 
Above that, you go to a stage where you're driven. Now, in that driven stage, people are often somewhat passionate about getting the outcomes. They're committed uh, and they, they really have head down, tail up, and they're working quite hard to get the outcomes. They are emotionally invested. They want to prove themselves, or will it be to themselves or to their manager, but they, they want a sense of outcome. The, the downside of the driven stage is they can sometimes find themselves being a bit frenzied and, and all over the shop where they, there's just not enough time and they're moving from A to to be. But at least in that driven stage, people are committed and they're probably up to 70, 75% uh, productive in that level. The challenge with driven is that it has the highest uh, chance, highest probability of burnout because driven is a great place to visit, not a great place to stay because it does require a lot of energy and your stress levels, if you like, or your feelings of stress tend to be highest at that stage there because you're really maxing out your uh, resources. Above the driven level is when you get people at the effective level. People there are still uh, have got still they're driven but they are far more efficient at delegating and organizing their resources they, they manage their energy better they manage people around them better they, they set up systems to support them they are clear in their communication uh, and they just tend to coordinate themselves more effectively however there's one level above that and i'd say at the effective level again you're probably up to 80 90 percent effect uh, productive but there's one level above that and this would be your high performance level. Now, keep in mind, at high performance, your, uh, your work quality can be the same or two, being at effective or driven, but your level of productivity, your engagement, your sustainability is a lot higher. High performance is that top 10% of people who are able to be kind of like a Formula One car, where a Formula One, when it's on, it's 100% on, but when it's off, it's 100% off. It actually knows how to switch off and on from between work and their personal life. They have a greater sense of balance in their world. They turn up looking and feeling refreshed, and they do feel a sense of that life is a good place to be. So when you talk to them, you go, how are things going? They don't, oh, well, there's a, I'm working hard and I'm doing this. They go, yeah, it works hard, but you know, life is good. The challenge with high performance is it does require a bit of rigidity in your in a lifestyle of structure to get there. But uh, high performance is, is, again, it's a great place to be uh, because it allows you to have this sense of balance and reward in your life. So it gives you uh, a sense of satisfaction. Oh, yes, very much so. But having said that, Donna, you, you can get satisfaction from the, from the driven, the effective, and, and high performance levels independently. Mm -hmm. But at the high performance, the level of pressure that you feel on yourself is actually reduced. You're getting as much done as you would be in effective and driven, but you don't have it with the pressure that follows you home. So this is when people talk about work-life balance. I wouldn't be getting close to work-life balance unless they're actually moving up that chain first. I wouldn't be talking with people who are disengaged or capable about work-life balance. I would want them at least driven first before we get there. Okay, so people you find in organisations that you work with tend to move between those different productivity levels depending upon maybe the stresses, etc. And it's, is it more to do with like the high performers having some resilient strategies that mean they bounce back faster than, than other people who perhaps are, are capable and they get knocked down by, by something, whether it's um, you know, a negative response to um, you know, a project that they're working on or some sort of roadblock in their activities is that what we're talking about 
Yeah, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a group at the moment and I'm working with their managers to help build the team to be able to be more productive under pressure. We're looking through these five levels. And the first step we had was to be able to work out where are people sort of starting at. Mm -hmm. And what can happen is that as you said, something can happen within the organization. There may be a, a change in, in leadership. It may be a, a change in the industry. Uh, it, it may be just some, some challenges at home which can determine where a person's starting point is. So they may come in feeling refreshed and, and ready to go in that driven stage. Something happens and bang, they feel just disengaged. The thing is, it's not so much where you, where you find yourself, it's your willingness to get up there to a higher level of productivity. Everyone will have a starting point. However, the tools that you use help you to climb up. And this is why I say it's about how well you bounce back fast. Not about where you start, but it's about where you finish and how well you can frequently recover to a higher level of productivity. That's what resilience education is all about. It moves someone up these levels at a faster rate and a more frequent rate. And that one of the messages that's really important for people to understand is that you aren't going to be perfect. You're not looking to have, and this might sound strange, you're not looking to have a team of high performance all the time. Mm-hmm. You want your team to have the skill and the ability that if they find themselves down and disengaged, if something happens and there's um, staff redundancies and whatnot and the morale is down, that they have the ability to bounce back. That, that's um, really, really good and interesting advice and, and I'm imagining that um, moving through the different phases that we've talked about is probably particularly relevant too for sales teams. Oh, yes. I mean, sales teams is, is, a, is a given because for sales teams, they're People will buy people first. So before they're going to buy any product or service, I've got to like and trust and relate to the person first. So if a person's had, let's say, a bad interaction or they've had a series of rejections and setbacks, they've got to be able to turn up to that next call, that next meeting, that next interaction with their team or their their client as if it was the first one of the day, as if they've only had good things happen before. So they need to know how to bounce back. Alternatively, with, with any industry, you'll also find if you've dealt with projects that run over time out of budget, if you've got people who aren't delivering things on time, and you as a manager turn up and you're feeling frustrated by all of this and you then drop down to being disengaged, it then reflects in the team. Mm-hmm. However, if the team themselves decide that even if as a manager you're up in that effective level and the team are falling down to disengaged, they've got to be able to recognize that and then make a choice. Do they stay there or do they move up? Because this is all about choice. The choice to move or the choice to stay where you are is still a choice. And the moment people realize that, that's the most important thing. Really interesting conversation around, um, you know, your productivity levels and the fact that we move move around a lot. And I know that point number four was to take ownership, which I think is a good follow-on from the the productivity. And I think we've uh, we've touched on that a little bit. Let's explore taking ownership a little further, Michael. Okay, so this is leads on to that point I just made. Is it's all about your choice to take action, Mm -hmm. but there are specific actions when we're talking about building resilience. It's not simply three deep breaths and go to that happy place in your mind, we're talking about specific actions to get from through these different levels. So if you go back to those five levels, we go to that bottom one, disengaged, and what sits above disengaged is capable. Taking ownership to move from one to the other, that's all about your disposition. 
That is the mindset that you come to work with, that you switch on when you're dealing with problems, changes, and challenges. And this is really about what sort of thinking do you turn up with? What sort of thinking do you allow? Do you allow yourself to have goal-orientated thinking or are you a problem um, thinker? Um, do you allow, when, when things get, get out of control, do you create in-proportion thinking? So do you be able to turn the intensity down or do you allow things to blow out? Um, do you have solution-focused thinking or do you have group-complaining thinking? Because this will all determine about whether you stay in disengaged and you collaboratively um, unite your team according to pains. Together we are united by our pain. We complain of how hard things are and how tough things are. And a team can do that if they decide not to move up to capable level. And that's really about the choice of disposition. Moving further from there, if you want to be from capable at next level, moving to driven, what's needed there is a sense of ambition, a desire to be able to persist even though we're dealing with setbacks. Now, this is something which when a person has some structure in terms of where they're thinking, about getting clear about what they want, about getting some strategy and some structure around how it's going to be done, about being aware of what distractions will get in their way and creating some sense of motivation for themselves. People in the capable zone, that always smells of too much work and won't do it. But when they, if they want to get up to driven, then there are some clear steps of a choice to make to be able to do that. From driven to effective, again, driven is where you are committed to getting an outcome, but your stress levels are higher or your experience of stress is higher. Effective is where you tend to um, organize your resources better. And again, what's required there from driven to effective is your management. Now, I don't mean the person who manages you, but the way you manage your resources, the way you manage your time, the way you manage your tension, the way you manage your communication with other people, the way you manage your implementation of what you do first, second, and third. Um, and, and this is, again, it's taking ownership of the things you can, ha- you can influence around you and deciding to do that and it kind of working a bit smarter. And finally, that step from effective to high performance, it's really about your detachment, how well you are able to leave work at work and reconnect with your personal life and vice versa from your personal life and getting into that work mode. For some people, it's about a removal. It's about stepping back and totally shutting out one aspect of your world. But for others, it's about a total immersion. I've got to start doing something. I've got to walk. I've got to exercise. I've got to eat. I've got to, I've got to do something that gets me out of that work mode or from, gets me out of that personal mode into work mode. So this is, again, about having the right tools at the right stage. That raises some interesting points and as you were you're talking about each of those and, and taking ownership and what you might do to move to the next level, etc. One of the things that came to mind um, for me was organisational culture and and its impact because, uh, you know, there'll be some uh, organisations where, um, you know, if, and we talk about the recognition of it too, um, if somebody's disengaged, um, if you're self-aware, it's about um, being able to recognise that but in a, in a positive light rather than in a defensive light. And yes. that can be a challenge within an organisation because often it's about the blame game and oh, I'm not disengaged or, you know, I'm not frenzied or I'm not manic or I'm not stressed. It's defensiveness rather than, than you know, being able to put your hand up and saying, well, I recognise that I'm not where I want to be or need to be to be at my most productive. So 
I guess there's an element of um, of uh, cultural in there too. W- would you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, and this is why I'm I'm always disencouraging a conversation of saying how stressed are you, but I don't want to manage performance or lack of performance around your stress levels, or you know, because people are always stressed. The moment you're in work or you've got family, there's always something you have to do. Let's not make that the benchmark of success or the lack of that benchmark of success. We need to look at a model or a mindset that Mm. people want to aspire to. So understanding that disengaged is not wrong. It's just what happens sometimes. Sometimes you find yourself down there. And we're not making a judgment around that. But if you happen to find yourself, there's a series of choices that you can make to lift your game if you want to. And As a manager, you can support them. As an individual, you have... Um, techniques that you can use. So for some people, that will seem like a great opportunity. But when you're implementing this in teams, you've got to be mindful of not wanting to force a person to to want to do this. When I'm working with one particular group now, um, out of five people in their team, four of them are disengaged and one is incapable. So they've got a bit of a challenge. The manager says, how do I get them to move? How do I get them to move up? And I said, we've got to understand that people will change for their own reasons, not yours. So the first and most important thing is buy-in. They've got to have Mm. buy-in to the model. They've got to want to do that. And that in itself may take six months, which is why when I work with a group, I I work with them for a minimum of six months to allow this process to sink in. Because for some people, they'll take it on right away, but for others... Just the decision to understand that their decisions are their choices or their choices are their decisions um, is a big step. To take ownership is a big step. And if they can get that, then their movement through the model is, is much faster. But it's an important first step that we don't force people, but they get the buy-in first up. And once they've got buy-in is that we support them in a way that give them the option to say, if you wanted to move here, here's what you need to do. So they've got a clear pathway. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Like, uh, it's working out what people's drivers are that are driving them to to recognise the the position that they're currently in, and change their mindset around from being um, a victim sort of state and negativity and supporting that negativity and and shifting that around to a mindset of aspiration. And and then once you can do that, you know, then it enables them to move forward. Or once they see the what's in it for them. Mm, and it's actually making the assumption that everyone has great potential inside of them, that they all have the potential to experience what high performance is on a more regular basis, that no one is condemned to having to stay in a disengaged or capable level just because you've done so for the last five or ten years, that there's potential for everyone. Uh, it's just entirely up to you if you would like to reach that. And I find by mapping this out, and giving them a see, uh, an idea of where they could go, some decide to step up and go, well, I'm, I'm tired of being here. Let's see what we can do if we can move up. And I guess as well, you know, it, it, it's a bit like when you put on weight, you know, generally you don't put on, you know, 10 kilos overnight. It's a slow process and then all of a sudden it's an awareness of, oh my God, how did I get here? And the same uh, the same is um, building up that resilience. A lot of us have never actually thought about that. Uh, we've just accepted the emotions that come along with the day-to-day stresses and frustrations and the changes in technology and, and um, accessibility and all 
all the things that we've talked about today and then just going, well, maybe I'm just supposed to cope with them rather than recognising that it's okay to feel that way and, and, you know, what can we do to strategize around when you are in those positions, um, you know, bringing yourself back to that centre. So all great information, Michael. Um, can we move on now? Uh, you know, I'm sure we could both talk for hours. I know I, I could. It's such an interesting topic. Let's let's just explore the last point, the fifth point, which was move with pressure. What what exactly does that mean? And and can we elaborate a little more on that? Sure. Um, now we've got our, number one. We need to accept you can't beat pressure. You can't outsmart it. You can't outplan it. You can't outstrategize it. Is that the mounting pressure of what is required on you and people's expectations will always be greater than your ability to solve it. It doesn't have to be a pessimistic thing. I think it's important to accept that because when you accept that, you're not trying to be everything to everyone. You're not trying to fix the whole world. You realize that you have a limited ability or limited time and energy and you've got to be more selective, which means that if you have a plan on how you want to do it, on how you want to go through your day, you need to be flexible with that plan. Otherwise, pressure will rule you. You're going to try and beat the clock, beat the person, beat the expectation, and you won't. Uh, I think that's an important realization. You need to be okay with making mistakes. You need to be okay with failure. You need to be okay with stuffing up. This is a natural human process to go through. It's how we get better at things. And if we are not okay with failure, if we're not okay with allowing people to make mistakes, then what we are doing is adding extra pressure and we're creating a context around people where they are set up to feel like failures. The nature of how pressure works is that it pushes you to do to either rise to the occasion or fall and crumble. And if you allow people to try, and if you allow people to be able to to give their best foot forward, with the understanding if it doesn't succeed, we're going to allow you to keep going and we're not going to reprimand you for for not achieving the first time around. What that does to morale, what it does to an individual's self-esteem is give them a sense of support that they're going to keep applying until they get it right. And this is why you've got to allow people to move with pressure, to let them understand that we want you to apply your best foot forward. If you fail, we'd rather you don't fail. You know, <laughs> We'd rather you get it right. But if you fail, then we want you to have the mindset of to keep going. Because once you do that, that's when your resilience, your bounce-back ability starts to naturally kick in. And I will say this, is that people are born resilient. You, This is not something that um, you have to learn. Sometimes you just have to remind yourself of what you are naturally able to do. Um, whenever you've cut yourself, you're, you, you, you can put a Band-Aid over that, but it's your body that heals that. If you've ever broken a bone, you can put it in plaster, but ultimately it's your body that will heal the bone. Your body is designed by nature to bounce back and to keep moving forward. In the same way when we're faced with challenges, problems, tensions, and, and, and issues, we are designed by nature to want to get past that, but we have habits and patterns in the way that have stopped us. So as a manager, we need to encourage people to tap back in, to, to give them the confidence to, to keep trying and to tap into that resilience, which they may have just lost touch with. Some really great insights on how HR professionals, and I know um, myself even even listening along today, how we can, how I can accelerate my personal productivity, and, and how organisations can do it. So let's just recap on those five uh, five different ways. Could you tell us what they were again? 
Sure, the first is most importantly to identify your pressure triggers, uh, looking at the fact that uh, you're more accessible, you have an increased expected output, and your change in lifestyle changes the amount of pressure that that's put on you. And that's not your fault, that's just how life is. Secondly, it's important to adjust your instinctive reactions, uh, not just to toughen up, not just to let go, but to be adaptable between the two when it's appropriate. Thirdly is to ascertain what are your productivity levels. Where do you find yourself between disengaged, capable, driven, effective and high performance? Fourthly, to take ownership that everything in life is a choice. The choice to do something is a choice. The choice to do nothing is a choice. And the ability to move between levels uh, is really about the choice to look at your disposition, your ambition, your management of your resources, and your ability to detach. And finally, it's important, the fifthly, to, to move with pressure, that you can't beat pressure, that it will always outsmart you, it will always grow beyond you. So it's important to be flexible and to be okay with failure, to be okay with things not going right. And like you said, it's about reminding yourself that these are all uh, inbuilt within you. You've just got to bring them back out again, much Absolutely. like the same way you mentioned about the bleeding and your body uh, healing itself up. You know, it's the same thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, Michael, you mentioned that you uh, you do programs in organisations, um, and you know, uh, if some of our listeners have, have liked uh, the conversation we've had today, and perhaps want to get in contact with you to to have a further discussion, how can they get in touch with you? Well, first and foremost, probably is the website, which is all the W's, mm -hmm. then bounce back fast. Dot com. So bouncebackfast.com. One of the great pleasures that I have is when I, whether I'm working with individuals on one-to-one on -one mentoring, whether I'm working with groups, uh, whether I'm, I'm mentoring um, a human resource leader, whether I'm measuring managers on how to manage their team, um, I, I love to see transformation in people. So the work that I do is actually over a period of time. So I'll work with a team. I'll, I may do a presentation for the entire group. I may work closely with the leaders or the managers on how to mentor their team, uh, providing everyone with all the resources for this ladder. And they're all done in, on, in an online resource center. So people log into a website and everything we've spoken about is in five-minute videos. So people can review this stuff at any stage. And again, and there's a whole series of resources that people go to as well. But as a very first step, I'd encourage you to go to bouncebackfast.com and there's an ebook which you can download, which is the seven ways to prevent getting overworked, stressed out, and run down. And you'll find that there on the website as a download. And I believe the specific URL for that is the um, all the W's bouncebackfast.com forward slash download dot html. Again, bouncebackfast.com forward slash download, and that downloads with a small d, dot uh, html. Well, Michael, fantastic. Thank you so very much for your time today and for insight on resilience and personal productivity. Thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on Prime Solutions training and consulting in our services, visit our website, the three W's, primesolutions.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hansen of Prime Solutions training and consulting, where we help you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now.